Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. We always, as I stated in the, in the blog, we always have the, the option to not do it. Uh, that, that option is always going to be there. I, I mean, the, the machine is currently not in charge. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show, and it's July, so we're beginning our extended summer show topic. And we're going to do what we did last year. We had four wonderful interviews, so I thought, can I get four more wonderful interviews? And luckily, I have. And we're starting with a wonderful one today. Robert Scoville has decided to speak with us today. He is the front of house audio manager who's touring right now with Tom Petty, but has also worked with Def Leppard and Rush in the 1980s. If you've ever been to a concert, the person who's running the audio board, that's the front of house manager and that's who Robert Scoville is but I'm not interested in speaking to him about Tom Petty I want to talk to him about a blog post that he had Watson can you hear me you'll find it on the sound pro live blog once again Watson can you hear me you'll find it on a sound pro live blog it's a question about how much we want technology to take over the creation of the music we play today. And I found it so darn interesting. I contacted him and luckily he said he would sit and talk with us. So what music are we going to play today? Every song you're going to hear today has the drum part created by an electronic drum machine. There may have been additional drums added into it by a human being, but for the most part, the drums are all done by a machine. So it goes right to Robert Scoville's question. How much do we allow technology to have an input into the music we make? Just remember, every song you hear has got a drum machine in it. And now our interview with Robert Scoville. I'm on the phone with Robert Scoville. You may not know the name, but I'll bet you know the sound. Robert, you're right now the front of house manager and the front of house sound guy for Tom Petty. How are things going? Hey there. Yeah, things are going really, really good. Um, we've been uh, We've been going at it since right at the first of the year. I think we started preparation for the tour uh, actually january 1 uh, and did about three months of prep and then off on the tour and we're probably about uh, i'm gonna guess about 20 shows in maybe 15 20 shows in right now had a fantastic show last night in des moines iowa mm -hmm. of all places so you're in my home state of ohio right now we are we rolled into columbus here about uh, two hours ago from des moines so yeah a little bit of a hefty drive overnight but we got here and 
just kind of settling in for a day off here. I can tell you that uh, a couple of students of mine, I didn't get to go, but a couple of students of mine drove to Houston to see Tom Petty play, and they were knocked out uh, at how well he played and how well this, uh, the show sounded, and that, that lands on your shoulders. <laughs> well, at least half of that does, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> there's, but, there's certain parts of it I can't control, for sure, but... Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, the, yeah, the Cynthia Woods Pavilion down there. That's not the easiest place to do and and to get to sound good. So I'm glad they glad they enjoyed it. Excellent. Um, also, I should probably point out that you've been doing this for next to forever. You worked Def Leppard in the '80s and a few other bands. Uh, can you can you remember those shows? <laughs> well, I'll just preface it by saying it was the '80s. So let's keep that in context. Okay, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I remember all of those very, very well. I, I had a great, I mean, that was a great period of my career there working, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to work with Def Leppard for one. Uh, you know, working with Def Leppard and Rush, you know, through that period of time was a really, really big thrill for me. So uh, that was, uh, that was, those were really, really big steps, stepping stones in my career to kind of launch me to where I am today, for sure. Uh, without those gigs, I probably don't, don't make it to where I'm at today, that's for certain. The reason I'm contacting you is not the fact that you are working sound, although that's that's completely interesting. The reason I'm contacting you today is because I ran into a writing of yours, an article of yours, a blog post called Watson, Can You Hear Me? And that introduced me to you, introduced me to your thinking, and uh, I want to, again, uh, as I did in the intro to the show, I want to urge people to go read this, Watson, Can You Hear Me? Now, this is, Watson, of course, a takeoff on the Alexander Graham Bell statement, but Watson is more than just simply uh, a bit of a play. Watson's a computer. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of a, like, would, would they call it a double entendre there, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Watson is in the context of the article is actually referring to uh, some current IBM technology. I'm sure you, I'm sure most of your listeners, if they're technologically minded, have picked up on the idea that uh, that those commercials exist. And you know, IBM does a pretty big run of uh, television commercials for the Watson technology. And I think uh, Watson has a history of winning. Was it Jeopardy or something? They had had it as a guest on Jeopardy one time, and it actually won the thing. But like your article, I have the same <laughs> concerns. You state very early in the article that there should be a morality uh, clause in all audio manufacturing. I guess what you're asking, and if I'm wrong, please feel free to uh, uh, you know tell me where I where I've gone wrong. But it's the <laughs> concept of. You've got a band here. Do you want to hear the band? You, the audience, do you want to hear the band? Or do you want to hear what the electronics of the day will do for your band? Right. Well, you know, I, I think probably just to clarify the context of that a little bit, you know, I, what, I think what I'm trying to claim in the article and 
kind of doing it kind of sneakily is that there is a morality that exists in the use of all technology. Now, whether we honor that morality is what's at stake here. Uh, you know, uh, and I think early on in the article, if I remember it, you know, I, I was kind of questioning uh, who's uh, who's going to be the governor of that morality, you know, of that integrity, where you know we we currently uh, you know fight off the temptation to allow the machine to do more and more and more of the work, you know, the actual hard work. So who's the owner of the integrity? Who's the owner of the uh, of the morality? Who makes the choice to say, okay, a p- part of this art has to be served by the human in order to actually serve the listener, you know, and, and what piece of the pie is actually doing that? You know, how much of the pie do we allow the human to do versus uh the technology, you know, how do we discern between task work and what is actually serving the art of what we're trying to do? And it's a very, very dicey proposition. And, you know, one of the concerns that I had early on was, uh, you know, and I, I really kind of glommed this, if I remember right, about uh, from reading a lot of, uh, you know, people's responses on the Internet to, you know, burgeoning technologies that were coming out. And, you know, there was like this inference that the manufacturers of the technology should be the ones owning uh, the governance of the integ- the integrity of it. You know, say, kind of stating, well, you know, manufacturers just shouldn't make those things because people would be tempted to use them. You know, and it's like, wow, I, you know, I was really questioning that going, really? Is that really what we want to have happen here? We want We want manufacturers whose sole, <laughs> especially, you know, publicly traded companies, whose sole... Outlook is based on generating profit for their shareholders. We want them to have the keys to the car in terms of integrity. You want them to set the rules on how the thing should be used. I, I you know, I, I started to have a real, real problem with that because at the end of the day, you know, in our world, especially music's probably the prime example of it. A big chunk of what has happened over the last 40 or 50 years was from using technology in a way that it was not designed to be used. You know, that is a form of creativity, is using things in ways that they were not meant to be used. I mean, my gosh, you go all the way back to the very first distorted guitar. You know, the the, the legend behind that that recording was that the amp fell off the back of the truck and was broken, but they had to use it anyway. And, you know, that you know that, that song now, Johnny, uh, is just considered the first rock and roll song, you know, so... You know, I get uh, I get concerned about these things. You know, when I see, especially as as fast as technology is moving along, you know, that we that we kind of will cave to those kind of temptations. You know? about uh, a deal where when you were working with uh, Def Leppard that people listened to their background vocals and said, well, okay, what samples are you using? What tapes are you using? And your answer or the answer of the, the Def Leppard member was basically we're using a certain microphone. And it, it seemed to be a turning point in the blog where you or the person from Def Leppard made the statement or felt the way that 
okay, people are, are learning. People are of the opinion that we're not doing this live anymore. It's too good. They take our talent right. and turn it into, it has to have been done by a machine. Am I, am I, am I in the ballpark with that? Yeah. Yeah. You're on the mark there. Yeah. It was, it was both a funny and kind of disheartening moment on the tour. I, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday where all of a sudden there was this, it seemed like just a realization by the people that were coming to the shows that, well, this is great. So it must be faked. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's terrible. I'm sorry, but that's terrible. Like, Oh man, seriously, you know, and it really didn't have anything to, you know, the answer didn't have anything to do with the style or the model of the microphone. I mean, we were just trying to say, no, it's not faked. We're the, the technology we're using is a microphone and someone singing into it. You know, how, how cutting edge of us, you know, uh, but I mean, that was, that, that's really a prime example of kind of what I'm talking about here, you know, and I, I think this came from the guys being English a little bit, you know, I mean, there's this, there's this mode of English thinking that is just kind of, Hey, suck it up, get on with it and do it right. You know, I mean, you know, they, they, they're not about taking shortcuts there, you know? Uh, so it, it really spoke to the, the band's work ethic where I think it made them even dig in harder and go, okay, you think we're faking this? All right, here, right in your face here. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna prove to you that we don't need to fake it. Mm-hmm. This is, this. We're, we're gonna dig in and, and really do it. And they did so, man. I mean, they worked tirelessly on those vocals, uh, and I think it was a, it was a source of pride for them. You know, and, and yeah. that's really a part of what I'm talking about here. You know, how can you be proud of your backing vocals if they're, if you're lip syncing and sampling them every night? You know, uh, it, it's, it, there's nothing to be proud of there. It's almost. Uh, it's almost you know shady in some degree where you're trying to hide something you're trying to hide a deficiency you know something happened in the music industry and i don't want you to to mention any names or anything like that but has something happened in the music industry where the def leppard idea or the tom petty idea of look this is us this is what it sounds like and we're going to perform the way our talent performs us or has something happened where it actually is the machine and i'll i'll, I'll give you an example i saw uh, Shania Twain on AXS and you could tell that she was using live a a pitch correction piece of format mm-hmm. because she was sort of behind you could see her lips were behind what was coming out has <laughs> has it happened today that now the the big artists they rely too much on the technology and not on their physical talent well, I think it's I think it's a really complex answer, and I think there are many many players in the answer here. Um, and I, I don't even know where to start here, but I'll I'll pick one to start with. You know, certainly when you're 
uh, and we've seen this happen recently here, haven't we? I mean, there are certainly influencers for these big television productions, and it's not necessarily the artist sometimes that has full control over it. You know, where it, where they what they want, where the, what those TV producers want is safety. They want reliability. They want it to never ever fail. You know, and and it's a false sense of of security, honestly, where they think. They need to rely on technology to do that. So, you know, that's why you'll see a lot of lip sync on television. Uh, you know, I mean, gosh, that goes back 40 years that we see lip sync on television because there's maybe an admittance or um, a concession that, hey, good sounding audio production is hard. <laughs> you know, True. I mean, it's not easily yeah. done. It takes time. And in our world, for sure, time is the commodity. So, you know, if you're going to go do a television show, well, you're not going to have four or five hours during the day, I mean, minimum four or five hours during the day, to pull together a pristine audio production for a television shoot. At that time, just does not exist in the schedule. So they will take the easy way out and just go, well, we'll just have a mime to backing tracks. I mean, that's been going on for 40, 50 years, you know. Do you think so, anyone you know, cares? Well, that's ultimately the question of my blog, isn't it? Yes. Right? True. And and why do we care? You know, because you know we don't we don't even think twice about a movie or a television show, and you know maybe maybe it's just that the average person doesn't understand this that you know when you're watching a movie or you're watching a television show, not one piece of that dialogue is captured while they're doing the acting. It's all overdubbed back in on a soundstage. You know, so it's like, well, does that take away from the integrity or the credibility of the performance? You tell me. I I don't know if I have the answer. Right. But well, you, but go, we hold music to a different standard there, you know. Let me ask you this question. There is a movement now to move back to vinyl. Obviously, vinyl carries somewhere between 7 and 9% of the sales. Uh, if you look, the people who are photographers are getting away from the idea of shooting on digital. They want to go back to film. It seems like, I don't know if the hipsters is the correct term or not, but it seems like that we've reached a point where some people, at least a section of the audience, has said, no, 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 I don't care for it anymore. And I know for a fact you can go to Sun Studios and record live on the tape. And you can go yep. to, uh, it's in Los Angeles somewhere. It's a recording studio that, that, that doesn't have one piece of equipment over 1979. Do you think it's going to sort of have a slingshot back and people are going to go back to the machines of the 60s and 70s because it is the old sound and that's what they want? Well, I think it's a little bit of romance is my honest answer. And it's okay. It's okay for us to be romantic and uh, go back and deal with these things. But I, I'm going to, I'm going to rain on your parade here a little bit <laughs> and say, while we'll, while we, while we see some of these movements back toward this other technology, to me, it falls under a couple of headings. One of them is certainly, we always want what we don't have. 
Okay, there's always going to be a yearn to have something that we don't have or that we used to have. Okay, so that's that that is a reality. I'm willing to deal with it. Do I go vinyl shopping? Absolutely. I go vinyl shopping all the time. At the end of the day, I don't care what you listen on. I don't care if you enjoy it more on vinyl, go buy it on vinyl. If you enjoy it on it, the portability of MP3 and want to listen on your you know, your phone or whatever, then do that. But please support the music. Don't go steal music. <laughs> you know, <laughs> support the artist. You know, pay for mm-hmm. what you get. You know, so you know, you know, as far as the you know, kind of going backwards, are we going to go back to vinyl? Are we going to go back to film? Are we going to go back to tape? Here's the harsh reality of it: we're not going to be an industry ruled by vinyl anymore. We're not going to be an industry ruled and run by tape anymore. It's impractical in terms of manufacturing it. Manufacturers are not going to go back and remake those. Are artists going to release their stuff on vinyl? You bet they are. But guess what? They're also going to release it on CD. They're also going to release it on MP3 and streaming, all of these other areas. Because those are revenue streams for them. That's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. You find me one artist that can say, and with a straight face, we're only going to release on vinyl, and that's how we're going to make our money. I'll, I'll show you an artist that's not going to make very much money. Right. We need to take our second break right now, but we'll be back one minute to continue talking with Robert Scoville on Rock School. Tom Petty. This, I yeah. mean, he is so set in the world of music. People will come see him for good. And I'm going off of my notes now. I just, I'm interested in your thought process on this. Can a new artist make it in this world? I mean, because the it used to be there were two streams of income. There was the touring, and there was the music. It seems yeah. the music has been pulled out. What are you what are you seeing in this world that you work in? Can a new artist succeed? Well, I, I think you know if if there's one negative to the technology, I mean you could you could you could certainly hold technology culpable for this one, I think, is that you know there was a period of time uh, and this is when Tom was coming up, uh, etc., where if you look at it just in terms of quantity, the amount of artists that made it through the grist mill to get to become a recording artist was actually very small by today's comparisons. And the technology has enabled that a little bit, meaning, you know, there just wasn't that many people that could afford to go record at a, at a really, you know, good technological level without the help of a record company and without somebody kind of looking at it and go, yes, you guys are worthy. Come on through. We'll, you know, We'll pay for these very, very expensive records to be made and release them, you know. And today, that is just not the case. I mean, and it's no exaggeration to say this. With a couple of thousand dollars, a few thousand dollars, you can buy the technology, and if you have the talent, you can release a record 
that by today's standards is on par with anything that Tom Petty is going to release or any mm-hmm. other artist is going to release mm-hmm. from the technological point of view. So the problem with that, the challenge with that comes, uh, certain, certainly for today's artists and for future artists, is that everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. There's this like uh, leveling of the play f- play, playing field that happens, and it becomes, well, if everybody can release a great-sounding recording, what makes a great-sounding recording? If everybody what? can what? musically come okay. across as great, well, then what's great after a while, you know? Well, what's great is the song. See, I'm, I'm contacting I, you. Amen. amen. Yes. I'm contacting you right now from my home studio, and I have every advantage that I guess Tom Petty would have. I'm calling you from a full board and, and gorgeous JBL speakers. But the fact <laughs> still remains, I, I didn't write American Girl. I didn't write Mary Jane's Last Dance. Doesn't it come down well, to yeah, that? But I mean... We're gonna we're gonna suffer right through this again because and the tech, again the technology is kind of at the at the foot of this a little bit where you can say say I mean at some point you know it's it's that um, how do I want to say this uh, it's that ambiguity of art right uh, one one man's trash is another man's art right so if we take that idea of of saying well anything is art anything is art and you apply that to music. Where it's like, well, anything is a song. Okay, so what's a great song? Define that for me. Tell me what oh. a great song is. Because if, Robert, if I, knew right that, there, I, he, if I knew that, I'd be a millionaire. No idea. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the guy standing across from you, his idea of a great song is probably 180 degrees from what your idea of a great song is. Guarantee it. So where does the discernment happen now? You know. So you know, my, the the moral of the story, what I'm trying to get at is, we now have an industry that is overrun i mean it is flooded with material and the question is are there enough people out there to buy your material and support it yes it is a free market don't get me wrong the cream will rise to the to the top but it also makes it very very tough you know i I was um, i was talking to somebody the other day about this and it sounds morbid to talk about it but you know obviously we've had a lot of uh, deaths of a lot of icons that have been you know, going on in the industry for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. And I said to somebody the other day, I said, you know, there's going to be a real wake-up call that's going to come here in about 10 or 15 years. And I started thinking about this. Honestly, again, it sounds morbid, but you, you just got to be real with it uh, from the context of Tom touring, you know. I was like, you know, for the last, let's call it 40 years. I mean, we're on our 40th anniversary tour, maybe even longer. Let's call it 50 years. The concert industry and now the recording industry has been living off of a handful of artists touring in this industry. I mean, the, the, the touring industry has been living off of the millions and millions of dollars that the Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, all of these acts that are now aging have been doing over that 40 or 50 years. Mm-hmm. Now, the mortality rate is 100%, right? I mean, it is 100%. I understand. It's, just, it's not a matter of when or a matter of if, it's a matter of when we're going to lose these artists. So go subtract all of them out of the recording industry and out of the touring industry and take, just try to grasp the void that is going to be there. It, it's it's a little breathtaking, you know. Well, will it be filled? Or do That's you think that there will be a sort of a stoppage? We'll all just simply listen to the music and there won't be the touring that we're used to. 
Well, we'll see. I, I mean, it, it remains to be seen. I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I mean, I believe it will always go on. Um, but, you know, we're so reliant and, you know, and, and, and I'm sure it's a function of the baby boomer generation because we're a huge swath of the population, mm-hmm. you know, being involved in, you know, oldies music, you know, classic rock, you know, all of these things. At some point, classic rock isn't touring anymore. You know, it's only on radio now. Mm-hmm. So right. are we going to be able to survive that? I mean, it, it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, for lack of a horrible analogy here, it, it's going to be a, a little bit of a market crash. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a wake-up call. It might be a little bit of a Black Friday in the music business, uh, but it, it will recover. Robert Scoville, front of house manager for Tom Petty currently, and also the uh, author of the blog that I, I I urge you to go watch, Watson, Can You Hear Me? And you'll find it on the Sound Pro Live blog. I can't tell you how happy I am you took about an hour and sat and ta- uh, spoke with me about this. Hey, it was an honor. It's uh, something I'm really passionate about, as you can tell. And it's uh, always great to have an outlet to speak about it. So I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. That was really, really great. Excellent. Enjoy your one of very few days off before you're back on the road with Tom Petty. <laughs> We're back in Columbus, Ohio tomorrow night. Come on down and see us. Stop Excellent. by and say hi if you see me. Excellent. Thank you so much for speaking with us, Robert. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet.